Okay. Hi, guys. In this week's episode of Hurricane Harvey, The Storm from Hell, we will be getting a visual of what it was like to go through this chaotic time as a father with a wife, two children, two dogs, and a cat who had to race against the clock to get away from a catastrophic storm. This podcast goes into the nitty-gritty details of life during the catastrophic storm that tore through Central and South Texas from August 17th to September 3rd, leaving nothing but debris and despair behind. My name is Olivia Simpson, and this is the story of Hurricane Harvey, the storm from hell. In today's episode, we'll be hearing the story from Harvey from the eyes of a father who works hard to support his family. Go ahead. So, I always keep a very close eye of the tropics in the summer. Hurricane Brett made landfall about 50 miles south of my house in Rivera, Texas in 1999 as a Cat 4 storm. At the time, I was fly fishing in Colorado and wasn't able to get back to protect my house and boats, but I was lucky and only sustained minimal damage. Before that, I never really appreciated the impact that such a large storm can have on so many levels. Luckily, Brett's landfall location was sparsely populated, so the overall amount of damage was minimal. But it wasn't until Harvey that I witnessed what a storm of that magnitude had the true potential to do. As usual, I was watching the tropics closely and paying attention to the activity, and I recall that Harvey had pretty much dwindled down to only a wave. But storms that make, that make it into the Bay of Campeche, even when they're that small, always concern me. It became apparent that it was going to grow, but the local meteorologist, as usual, didn't seem to be giving it a lot of credit. I kept a close eye on it anyway. The day before the official evacuation orders were given, I was in Laredo, negotiating some agreements with some lawyers. I stepped out of the meeting to call my boss, and he informed me that the storm was beginning to make a turn towards Corpus, and that they were doing a shutdown of our building. So basically, whenever a tropical system takes aim at Corpus, even if it's only a tropical storm, we had to move all of our computers, files, and other work-related stuff into the interior offices. Our building is only a few blocks from Corpus Christi Bay, and our windows face the water. So after that, he told me. So after that, he told me to go back into the meeting and tell them I was leaving, and would finish with them later. Next to their office was the Home Depot. My employee that was with me and I went in, and I thought I was being smart. I bought three window units. I figured that since I had a generator, and if we didn't have to evacuate, I would at least be able to keep the house cool when the power went out. By the time I had left Laredo, it wasn't worth trying to get back to the office because it would have been pretty late. Well, it turns out those window units and my generator ended up ruined by the flood water, so that was a pretty big old fail. That night, I stayed in touch with a friend whose company has a real meteorologist on their staff. Not like the one of meteorologists in Corpus on the news. Uh, he told me that night that his guy was saying it would be at least a Cat 4 and would make landfall somewhere around Port A or Rockport. Guess what? The local guys on the news that night were still saying maybe a Cat 1. Having heard this, I made you and your brother stay home from school and start packing suitcases. I think others might have actually let their kids go to school that day, but I'm not sure. So I went into Corpus and began to shut down my office. I had a few people give me a hand since their offices were already done. And guess what else? When I was doing that, the local meteorologists were only then starting to say, well, it could maybe get a little bigger. They're idiots, man. Got home as soon as I could. On the way, I stopped and bought some storage tubs and gave them to you all. Told you to put your belongings in them. Belongings in them. I later put those in the bed of the truck and in the boat. And that's about the point where things started to get panicky. Now the news was starting to catch on. 
to what I knew from the night before, the storm was intensifying so fast that everyone was scrambling and trying to figure out what to do. Since I had just had the siding on our house replaced, I hadn't been able to put the hurricane shutters back on the windows. They weren't hurricane windows, so that was a problem. I called the same friend who was on his way down from Austin to get his house in Portia squared away. I begged him to grab some sheets of plywood for me and he got me what I needed. So I pulled the boat out of storage. The only reason I did that is because a friend was wanting to buy it or I would have just left it behind. Took it home to start loading it down with our stuff, suitcases and whatever else we were gonna take with us. I tied a bunch of our pool furniture together with some pretty strong rope, tied some other things together like the barbecue pit to another one, did things like that. I was kind of thinking about the flooding, but none of us really knew how much flooding there could be. So I was kind of mostly just thinking about how the wind would be blowing things all over the place. I moved as much of it as I could of whatever was left into the garage and started measuring the windows and cutting plywood to cover them. This was a pain in the ass because that's tough to do by yourself. Holding a piece of plywood up with one hand with one part resting on your knee and using the other hand to screw it into the wood. I eventually got it done though. Cops were driving around telling everyone on their loudspeakers to evacuate. I'm trying to think of what else needs to be done. It was pretty chaotic. I was on the phone with my dad asking him to find me a hotel room somewhere that would accept dogs. I didn't really care where it was, but we settled on Seguin. Seguin made sense because if I needed to leave there, I could either head towards San Antonio or easily towards Austin and to wherever else I needed to go. The air was pretty strange. People were moving around, but nobody seemed to be talking to each other. A neighbor asked if I wanted to borrow his trailer to take mom's car with us. I told him, screw the car, it's insured. I made a final pass through the house, and then we realized that we hadn't seen the cat. You and Noah were outside calling his name, and he wasn't coming around. I think both dogs were already in the truck. I told mom that we needed to leave, and there wasn't anything I could do about the cat. She wasn't happy, but what could we do? Now everyone was in the truck, the house was locked, it was time to go. I'm making one last pass to make sure I didn't miss anything. We were about to drive off and I realized I had left my phone in the house. Went back in for it, found it, opened the door to leave, and here comes the damn cat. Since it would have been tough dealing with the cat in the hotel room, I made the decision to leave him in the house. Put a lot of food and water up high, put some towels up high for him. This was all in the office. After that, I locked him in there and we left. A photojournalist was walking down the street with some cameras. He said he took pictures for the USA Today newspaper and asked if I would let him take a stupid stage photo of me loading suitcases into the truck. I'm like, whatever, man. Turns out that picture did make USA Today and someone saw it and sent it to me. I remember that there was a lady on Channel Vista that I had never met. She was standing in her driveway. We just kind of looked at each other and she waved goodbye to me. It was weird, kind of eerie. Almost like a little kid just waving at people as they were driving by, like we would never see each other again. It took a while for us to get on the ferry and get across the channel. Uh, since I figured everyone in Corpus would be also evacuating, I decided to take the highway up through Beeville and Carn City. Pretty much takes you straight to Seguin. Uh, of course, there were a lot of other people doing the same thing, so what should have taken about three hours took more like six hours. We finally made it, got checked in, got the boat parked, got everything up to the room. Walked to a McDonald's to get food for everyone, opened a beer, and turned on the news. Harvey had become a monster. The San Antonio News goes on to say that Seguin could get 12 inches of rain. I'm like, to hell with this. I wasn't going to be stuck in Seguin with all of us and two dogs in a small hotel room. I made the decision that night that we would head to Dallas the next morning to stay at your grandparents' house. By this point, I knew Porte was in trouble, and I was pretty sure that our house would be in really bad shape when we got back. So I figured that staying in Dallas was a smart move for you, Mom, and Noah. 
The next morning, I found a place where I could store the boat, paid the dude for three months of storage, and we left for Dallas. And I remember checking my phone periodically while the storm was getting close to landfall. And I knew when we finally lost power because it was able to tell me that the alarm was out. And that's when it sunk in that our house was about to take a direct hit. We finally made it to Dallas, unloaded the truck again, watched the news until I couldn't stand it anymore. The next day, pictures started to float around of the damage. It was incredible. I have pictures of boats on tops of cars, boats everywhere, destruction everywhere. All I could think of was, do we have anything left? Now, there's a whole lot of people screaming and yelling about when they can get back in and start looking at their homes, needing to start working on them because of mold, protecting their belongings, whatever. People were arguing that only full-time residents should be allowed in. People with vacation homes were saying they're going to file lawsuits to get back in if the mayor started to pull stuff like that. <clears throat> Everyone waited until word finally came out that residents would be allowed in. I don't even remember for sure because of how chaotic everything was, but I think that was on a Monday. I spent the next day trying to round up supplies I knew I would need. Since I knew we wouldn't have water, I went to a tractor supply and bought a 350-gallon water tank. This would be for me and my neighbors that needed water. Then I went and bought a trailer to put it on. Then I went and bought another generator since I already knew the one I had would have been submerged and, and ruined. Bought one for the neighbors and another one for Tony. Bought a bunch of water and whatever else I figured we, I would need. <clears throat> the deal was, residents could go in that day, but entry into the city limits wouldn't start until noon. <clears throat> since it's about eight hours of driving from Dallas with a trailer, I left there around 3.30 in the morning, made one stop, I got to the line of cars on the island road around 11.30, and it was a long line. <clears throat> By the time I made it through into the house, I only had a few hours to look around. I think we had to be out of town by 6. All down the island road, power lines were down, power poles were down, snap like twigs, crap was everywhere. It was shocking to see the condition of the town driving through it. Scary, really. About all I had time to do was survey the damage. There were mounds of seagrass in the yard and up against the house and front door. Benches were everywhere. Cars had floated around and ran, were in random places. Trees were toppled. Everything just seemed flat out destroyed. Your mom wanted me to find the cat right away and call her to tell her he was fine. Went into the house. Went into the office. He looked down at me from the top of the armoire with this you're an asshole look on his face. But he was fine. He ended up coming down and following me everywhere. I measured 14 inches of water in the house, about 24 inches of water in the garage, and about four feet of water at the front door. Bet that cat was freaking out, man. Furniture had floated around in the house. There was brown muck all over the floor. It was slippery as hell and smelled that way too. I thought it was mud. Others said it was sewage from the storm surge backing up the water system. I never really found out what it was, so I treated it like it was sewage. And we made sure to tell the insurance company that also. I dragged the rugs out from the rooms into the yard, drank a couple of beers, took some pictures to send to the family and left. For the first week I stayed in a hotel room on Padre and I was lucky to get that room. Starting the next day, it was work your ass off all day long until curfew. Pretty much was repeating the same process every day. I'd get to Port A around eight in the morning, get a free cup of coffee at the coffee shop, find a breakfast taco, then work on the house till lunch. Then I'd go find something to eat. There really were a lot of generous people handing out food. I'd go back to work till around 6.30. Then I'd meet up with friends and we'd drink a few beers until it was time to leave. I think the curfew was 8 or 8.30. Every day, same damn thing. On the second day, Nathan made a trip to Beeville and brought his tractor back. He used that to rake all of the grass piles from people's yards into the street. 
This is good because now we had somewhere to put everything that we were throwing away. First was to drag out all the furniture and large things that were obviously ruined that I was able to do myself. Appliances from the house and garage, cheap but overpriced furniture, floor rugs, whatever. Then I started cleaning all of the whatever it was off the floors. I was kind of lost, really couldn't come up with a plan since I was working alone. I was wearing a Tyvek suit and rubber boots in case it was sewage. I actually had to get a TV shot so I didn't get sick from it, whatever else I may have come into contact with. When the mold started to set in and grow on the walls and doors, and that didn't take long, I started wearing a respirator. Volunteers were everywhere, but by this point, I was starting to feel angry. I was starting to feel depressed. I didn't want a single person in my house I didn't know. They offered, but I told them to go away. There were just too many people. Some of the guys that worked for me stopped by one day and helped me move all the rest of the furniture out of the house. The stuff too hard for me to move by myself. Like I said, if I didn't know you, you weren't coming into my house. Everywhere I went, I had a pistol and a rifle. I would check the house first thing in the morning with a gun in my hand. It just started to wear on me because I was doing so much by myself. At this point, I'm yelling at volunteers to get the cars off the street so I could move my truck. The trailer was in our driveway and I would park the truck in the yard across the street since they hadn't come down from Dallas to check on their house yet. I was just plain pissed off and that stuck with me for a long time. Damn sure for a couple of years. A day or two later, Tony and one of his friends came over to help me start ripping the sheetrock out of the house. <clears throat> I was getting in their way, so I kept working on cleaning the floors. I would take five-gallon buckets of water, pour bleach in them, and literally dump it on the ground. I'd use a large squeezy type thing and suck it up with my shop back. I'd do this for hours and hours and hours until the floors were pretty much clean. I had the sheetrock removed the second day with Tony. And at one point in the first week, our neighbor that lives in Alice came over and we started talking. He handed me the business card for a lady that's a, what's known as a private adjuster. These are the people you hire to fight with your insurance companies. They get a percentage of what you get, but if they're worth a crap, you get much more than if you were fighting them by yourself. I met with her and her partner. They took care of all of the insurance fights. It would have been hard for me to do all that and handle all that, working on the house and worrying about you all in Dallas. So, But later, you know, my boss criticized me and said it was dumb for me to have done that. When I told him how much more money she had gotten me compared to what the insurance company wanted to give me, he said I look like a genius. I have a stack of her cards. I'll make sure I always have her number ready if there's another one of these. I'll talk more about the insurance thing in a little bit. So anyway, the town reminded me of a third world country. I never thought I would see food lines, no water, no electricity, damage everywhere. The air smelled like hell because of all of the food rotting in everyone's refrigerators. It was funny. The day that Carlos and some guys came over to help, Carlos was moving a freezer from out of the garage. When he shook it and leaned it a little bit, a bunch of some putrid rot rotten something leaked out on the floor. It smelled so bad he threw up in the garage. Same thing happened to some FEMA representative guy one day. I laughed at him and told him to go away. I finally had the house pretty much gutted and emptied. I'd say that about 80% of everything we owned was in the yard or on the street. All we really had left was clothes that were hanging up in, in closets and really the antiques. They weren't the overpriced junk I had bought from the Port A beachy furniture stores. I did try to save a lot of other stuff though. There were some baby photo albums that got wet. I had those pictures laid out all over the house. Jewelry that was in a jewelry safe was wet. Had it laying around. But all in all, most everything that we had in the house was outside waiting for someone to load up and take to a landfill. It was hard seeing that and knowing it was nothing more than trash. You know how I mentioned drinking beer at the end of the day with friends? There was one time I was at Chad's house at the end of the day. Jamie had come down to help from Austin. I think Andy maybe had been there. A couple of other people. So 
So we're sitting on my tailgate in the street and a state trooper drive by and he turned around and pulled up next to us. He didn't care we were drinking beer. He just sat there and visited. He knew we would be leaving town at 8 or 8.30, but he was just being a cool guy. As for the Port A police and state troopers, man, they were awesome. They kept such a close watch on the town that I don't think looting ever became a problem like it was in Aransas Pass in Ingleside. Can't thank them enough for what they did. Even the police officers and firefighters from other cities were here. I remember one time that a neon green fire truck rolled down Channel Vista Drive, and it was from the Dallas International Airport. Overall, though, by now my attitude was getting worse. Just depressed, felt filthy, angry, looked like hell. One day I got a text from Ashley. She said she was up at the fire station giving free haircuts to them and I guess the other first responders and whoever else. She asked if I wanted one. I went up there and left there feeling human again. It was one of the best days I had had in a while. At the end of that first week, I had to move out of my hotel room. I had heard that an apartment complex on Padre was allowing Portia residents to rent month to month instead of making the signed leases. I think I got one of the last apartments there. Since I didn't have any furniture, I just slept on the floor, but it worked out fine. I still kept working on the house every day, repeated the same thing about the coffee, lunch, and dinner before I left town. By this time, I really was starting to become a total mess, though. I was constantly spraying the walls and studs with mold killer, doing this, doing that. Terrible headaches, terrible attitude. It took half a day to get everything out of the pool and empty it, clean all the sludge out of it. Since y'all were still in Dallas, I was sending a lot of pictures and calling every night to give updates. The neighbors had really rallied around each other and were helping each other a lot. If there was anything you needed, somebody had it. Peter's house had actually become the place for donations, tools, water, cleaning supplies, beer, whatever. If you needed it, it was probably in his front yard. About midway through the second week, Rudy, the contractor that had just finished our siding job, stopped by to see if his siding had held up okay. I asked him then when we, he could get started on repairing the house. He said he wasn't going to be able to work on any of the other things for a while, so he cut me a break on the prices just so he could keep his workers busy. I told him I was ready for him to get started right away. He said he'd call me. By the end of that second week, it was about time to get, bring you all back from Dallas. I started to move some of the furniture and things that survived into the apartment. I've been spraying many of the antiques and stuff like that with bleach and water, and some of them went there with us. I moved over most of the clothes, some plates, cups, and things like that. Just enough to try to make the place feel like a home. Tony gave us an older couch, too. I told your mom to go to a furniture store in Dallas, pick out some nice dressers for everyone since there needed to be something to put the clothes in. Pulled the trailer back to Dallas, got the furniture, bought some mattresses and some bed frames, and we all headed back down to Padre Island. But while I was in line at the furniture store in Dallas, Rudy, contractor, called me and said he could get started on our house. I made the decision to sell a bunch of my company stock, but it was enough to pretty much cover what I thought it would take to get at least most of the work done. I figured out I would be settling up with the insurance company later anyway. So a few days later, he sent in his crew to finish the demo work and start putting it all back together. This was a really important step in the process for me. I didn't want to be waiting until all the insurance stuff was worked out. I wanted back in my damn home. I would sort out the insurance stuff later. <clears throat> and that's why I hired that private adjuster. It was about two weeks into the rebuilding that I decided my goal was to have my house to the condition that we would be living in it and my kids would be opening up their Christmas presents on Christmas day next to a tree in our house. By this point, I had gone back to work but every day I would leave work, go straight to the house and party to do whatever I could to help make this goal a reality. It turns out 
we were able to move in right before Halloween. The house wasn't completed. There was a refrigerator in the living room, plastic wash basins in the bathrooms. We would constantly move furniture around to accommodate the tile guy. But we made it work, and I'm really glad we did. I hated that apartment. I was glad to be back in Port A, but I did feel bad for the neighbors that weren't able to be back in their home so quickly. All right. Now, you wanted to know about how much money was involved in putting it all back together. I didn't want to do this, but I'll break it down for you like this. You have to look at it in three parts. There was the windstorm policy that covered roof replacement, fences, and some other stuff. <clears throat> that was about $17,000. More than covered those repairs. Then there was the flood money that covered the personal belongings. That was a real pain to deal with, but I recall we got something close to $60,000. That was the furniture, the clothing, appliances, and stuff like that. Then there was the flood money that was for putting the house back together. This was the real battle. Stephanie, yeah, that was her name. She was like amazing. The whole insurance thing is a racket. They're doing their best to screw you over with how much money they're going to give you. Her job is to turn it right back around on them. One example. So there was a lot of moisture under the tile. Over time, that can cause tiles to stress and crack. The insurance geniuses say would, said they would pay to have the grout between each of the tiles removed. That's incredible. Of course, some are going to break when they do this, and how would I be able to find the same type of tile again so it would even match? It was a lot of stuff like this. Their first settlement offer was a little over $50,000. She argued and argued. And I was doing some borderline fraudulent stuff, but we ended up with something closer to $80,000. I don't like sharing that number because I don't know how everyone else did with their insurance claims. But the 10% sharing as a commission was worth every dollar. I do know that some people used other adjusters like her, but didn't all get the same good results they were hoping for. But you know what? I never had a single conversation with anyone from any of the insurance companies. And it's probably best that I didn't. <clears throat> Who knows what I would have told them to go do to themselves. Eventually, it all came back together. House was new. Fresh start, I guess you'd say. You all got back in your schools. No more flower bluff ridiculousness. The town slowly started to come back together and look at where we are today. But I learned a lot through this whole experience. I've learned what I could have done that would have saved a huge huge amount of our possessions that we had lost. I have a plan to keep so much of the water out of the house again. I have a plan to keep sewage out of the house. I think we can be completely evacuated without actually having to sprint in only a few hours. Part of that is getting organized now. You know, people say that Harvey was a once-in-a-lifetime event, and maybe it was. But look at what happened to Louisiana last summer and all of the hurricanes that battered them. I don't pretend to think that our house wouldn't have a lot of damage from another one it's just that having been through this, at least now I know what to expect and how to act. Much easier to put a game plan together now. Another would, would probably still have the same mental effect on me as Harvey because I think that piece of it is unavoidable. You know, I had nightmares for a long time. I don't think I was really over the effect of that storm until close to three years after it hit. I have about 400 photos of the damage to the town on my computer. Every now and then I look at them, and even though I don't really like doing it, but it does seem something I should do just to keep myself a little humbled. I hope we never have to deal with this again, and there's a chance that we might. I wish no city anywhere in the country had to deal with these storms. Little ones are manageable. Storms like Harvey are devastating. But people will be there to help, and we need to be willing to help other people. That's why I hauled all that stuff to Louisiana last summer. They needed help badly. So as long as we can rely on one another, events like Harvey can be overcome and you'll always be able to rebuild.
that's my story about Harvey. Thank you. Yeah, I really do think that it was a very interesting experience. I know a lot of people had it a lot different differently than you and I did. And I think it's really cool that it, like, brought us all together as a community. And, you know, it helped to, like, help you realize that when people are in need, it'll, like, push you to do certain things. Like, when you, last summer, you hauled all that stuff to Louisiana, not a lot of other people would take the time out of their day or out of their week to do that. And I think that is really cool. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Um, In the next episode, we'll hear about the storm through the eyes of a war vet and proud citizen of Port Aransas, Texas, who has lived here for, I'm sure, over half a century, right? Yeah. Sure. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.